Well, uh, <clears throat> I was reading a book recently. I've been reading a book with a couple of guys called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. It's a wonderful book. And in the book, he tells the story of a man by the name of Karl Barth. You may know the name. In the 20th century, he was perhaps the most famous theologian alive. Uh, he's a Swiss-born theologian. And uh, known especially for his monumental, multi-volume work called Church Dogmatics. It's not a book you want to read late at night. Thousands of pages, thousands of pages. Tremendous theologian, tremendous scholar. One time he was at the University of Chicago in an interview. And someone asked him, Professor Bart, after all of your years of scholarly work, after all of your years of research and writing, what is the most profound truth you have come across? And without hesitation, this is what he said, no kidding. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Does the tune sort of go through your mind? Maybe you had that sung to you as a child, or maybe you sing it to someone now. But I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that about you? And another question, what do you think of Jesus? Do you think of Jesus as a friend? Would you think of Jesus as your friend? We'll come back to that. We're in a series, a six-week teaching series called Gentle and Lowly, and it's actually based upon a book written by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. It's a really, really good book. Many people received this copy for free a few weeks ago. You can still get it on Amazon. And the reading outline is in your program you received this morning. So please follow along. But a couple weeks ago, we started the series thinking about this, how Jesus is always for us. And there we tapped into really what is the cornerstone passage for the entire book when Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest, and it goes on. And he says, for my heart is gentle and lowly. That's what we talked about. We talked about the heart of Jesus, the heart of God. And then last week, we talked about the problem of sin and how God answers the problem of sin through the person of Jesus Christ and our simple faith in Christ. Today, what we're talking about is this, how Jesus is our friend and companion. And if you're following along in the book, I hope you are. That's in chapters 11 and 12. We'll tap into a few ideas from those chapters as we go along this morning. All right? Just a, a, a few verses before the cornerstone passage that I just talked about a few moments ago. In chapter 11, we read these words. Jesus speaking. The Son of Man, that's Jesus referring to himself, the Son of Man feasts and drinks. And you say, the religious leaders say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. This is the, this is the, the phrase I want us to camp out on today, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Oh, the religious leaders said such a problem with who Jesus hung out with, the dregs of society, the lowlifes of society. The religious leaders would look at the tax collectors and sinners, well, they're not like us. We are religious. And these religious leaders, they understood their religion. They understand the rituals and the regulations, all of that, but they did not get, they did not understand the heart of God. 
Ironically, what they did get right, though, is that Jesus was the friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, the, the word friend, it's kind of lost some of its meaning. It's been diluted over the last years, probably because of social media, maybe because of Facebook. Are you on Facebook? Do you have friends on Facebook? Some people have 10, 20, 30. Some people have hundreds. Some people have thousands. And I just think, come on. Are those really all friends? Maybe not. What, what is a friend? In, in the New Testament, what does it mean? It's, it occurs 29 times, the word friend, and it comes from the Greek word philos. That's where we get the word, as you might imagine, the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Philanthropy, the love of people or, or uh, uh, benevolence. Philology, the love of words, or like my brother, whose name is Philip, the lover of horses. I don't know if he loves horses or not, but that's his name. But the idea of philos carries with it the idea of love, of friendship, of even loving sacrificially. Now let's say in each of our lives we have uh, some concentric circles of people we know. On the outside concentric circle, we have our acquaintances, probably many of those on my Facebook page. You know, people I, I know, but I really don't like look for opportunities to have coffee with them. The next circle in, your circle in, you had of your friends. And these are the people that you might from time to time have coffee with. But then in the very center of those concentric circles, those are your philos friends. These are the people who would go to bat for you and you would go to bat for them. These are the ones who would hang in there with you and you would hang in there with them. These are the ones who would sacrifice for you and you would sacrifice for them. These are the ones you look forward to having coffee with them. Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, a philos. Now let's Let's kind of dive into tax collectors and sinners for a moment. It's an interesting way to put it. There's two different categories here. You have sinners who were the, uh, the, you know, the rapscallions, the scallywags, you know, the, the, the sort of the mean-spirited people of society back in those days. They were sort of the no-good doers. Is that even a phrase? But you get the idea. And then you have tax collectors, a whole other category. Now, we've talked about tax collectors in this room before, so I won't belabor it, but let me just remind us that tax collectors in Israel in those days, these were Jewish individuals who were hired by the occupying Roman government. And they were considered by their Jewish brothers as traitors, as turncoats, because they worked for the Roman government. Now, that's bad, but it gets worse because they became very rich by skimming off the top. And so you have these sinners and these tax collectors. And, and the religious leaders, they could not understand how Jesus could hang out with such people, of which Matthew was one of them. Matthew, who's writing this gospel, he was a tax collector. And, and I just can't help but think that when he's writing, Jesus, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, he's smiling, thinking to himself, Jesus is my philos, my friend. And I wonder if he was smiling when he actually writes his own story into the gospel he's creating. This is what Matthew writes. 
As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. And later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. That's Matthew's story. Now let me give you a little context they're in Matthew's house having dinner. And it's not like at your house sitting around a dinner room table. Back in those days, what they did, they would actually recline on an elbow and eat food on a mat placed on the floor. And around this meal are all kinds of individuals. And this was more than just about food. This was an experience. When they reclined, it was a picture of fellowship. It was a picture of getting to know. It was a picture of friendship. That's what it was. And around this meal, you have some interesting characters. You have some interesting characters, like I said earlier, some rapscallions, some people with some checkered histories, probably people who used off-color language, probably some people who told some uh, off-color stories. And yet, there was Jesus in the middle of them, which is an amazing thought. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. And there he is. The, the, uh, the religious leaders, they just struggle with this mightily. How could Jesus be doing this? He claims to be God, and yet he's rubbing shoulders with these undesirables. And so finally... They, they must have been asking, wanting to ask this question all along. But finally they say, why does your teacher eat with such scum? They ask the disciples that. But the disciples don't come up with an answer. And perhaps they, at this point in their life, they, they couldn't come up with an answer, didn't know how to answer it. And so Jesus does. And Jesus essentially says this. A doctor, when he sees a sick person, moves toward that person. The doctor moves toward the person who is broken. The doctor moves toward the person in need. And God always, always, always moves toward the broken life, the broken person, the person who has lost his way, the person who has, has gone astray. That is what a friend does. That is what a doctor does. And that's what God is like. When you have a friend, I mean a real philos friend, don't you want to be around that friend? The tax collectors and the sinners, they, they, they found ways to get around Jesus because they wanted to hear more. I want to move you from the Gospel of Matthew to the Gospel of Luke to one of my favorite chapters we won't take a lot of time in it, but I want to show you something interesting. Chapter 15 in the Gospel of Luke begins with these words. 
Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And right after this, in chapter 15, Jesus gives three parables right in a row. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. Many of you know the story of the prodigal son, which is essentially about a kid who grows up in a family and decides to leave. The father gives him his inheritance early. The son moves away and goes off and lives a life that is in rebellion to God, in rebellion to his father, in rebellion to his culture. And his life falls apart. His life falls apart. And he wonders, I wonder if my dad would take me back and love me and forgive me. And so he returns to his father. And then we reach the pinnacle of the story with these words. And so this son returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, let's remember who's listening to this story. Yes, the religious leaders, but the tax collectors and sinners are on the edge of their seats. And I can tell you what word grabbed their attention in this sentence. It's the word compassion. (laughs) Compassion. Compassion is the theme word this month for our kids' ministry. Did you know that? Compassion is the word Jesus uses as he tells the story of the Good Samaritan stooping down to help that victim off the side of the road. Compassion is the word to describe Jesus as he sees the masses of people like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion, it rings in the ears of the tax collectors and sinners and it should ours also. The word compassion is translated from the Greek word splankna. You think, so what? Let me explain. Splankna meant the bowels of a person, the entrails of a person deep down in. Splankna, it's where we get the, Greek, the English word spelunking. Have you ever been spelunking? Maybe you've never heard the word. It means cave diving or cave dwelling. It means going into the depths of the earth. And this father sees his son coming and he's filled with compassion, love deep down in. Do you know there are parts of the world where there are caves where they have never discovered the bottom of the cave? What Jesus is helping us to understand is that God's compassion for tax collectors and sinners and you and me is bottomless. It's unending. You can't find the end of it. He wants us to come home that badly. Come to me. Come to me, Jesus says. No wonder the tax collectors and sinners loved being around Jesus because he loved them in spite of who they were, where they'd been, and what they had done. Dane Ortland, in his book, if you read the chapters for this week, eventually you'll come to these words. Oh, there's a picture of cave. I thought I already put it up there. That's me over in Kelly's Island. This is what Dane Ortland says. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. Can I just camp out on the word always? <laughs> I think I know what it means to be a friend. 
I think I know what it means to be a faithful friend, but quite frankly, I am a fickle person, and probably you are too. At times, I can fail as a friend. But with Jesus, that will never happen. Do you know Jesus knows every single thing about you and me? Or he doesn't. (laughs) There's no in-between. Either he does or he doesn't. And the Bible says he does. God knows exactly who you are, really. He knows where you've been when no one was looking. He knows what you've done when no one knew. He knows your heart and your mind, and everything I just said about you is true about me. He knows, he knows, he knows. And sometimes when we become aware that God knows everything about us, we can actually do what Adam and Eve did, and that is go hide in shame. Or we can deny it. Or we can cast blame on somebody else. But Jesus looks at us. No matter where we've been, what we've done, who we are, he looks at us and he says, come to me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Take my yoke upon you. I am a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I have a bottomless heart filled with compassion for you and me. That is what you call good news. (laughs) In this message, we call it Jesus, the friend of sinners, or excuse me, a friend and companion. I was thinking about the word companion, and and these words from the the book of Proverbs came to mind. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, the book of Proverbs is the book of wisdom, and it's really a book of two paths. There's the path of wisdom. There's the path of folly, and we're called by God to stay on the path of wisdom. That means doing what is right in his eyes. I love hiking. I love backpacking. I learned a long time ago, you don't go by yourself. You go with companions. They help you to stay on the right path. Companions can help us stay on the right path, the path of wisdom. Now, that's one way to read these words. But there's a deeper way to read these words. You know, in the book of Proverbs, the word wisdom is personified and always points to the person of Jesus in the New Testament, the expression of wisdom. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus is actually called wisdom. And there is no wiser thing you and I could do than to allow Jesus to show us how to walk on the path of wisdom, and when we fall off the path of wisdom, how to get back on that path. He is the companion we long for in life. Now, We've talked a lot about Jesus as a friend, as a companion. In closing, I want to give us a couple of challenges. And the first challenge is simply this. Allow Jesus to be my friend and my leader. (laughs) Do you remember this past summer we went through the book of Revelation? As we came to chapter 3, we read these wonderful, famous words of Jesus. Look. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. That is an invitation. 
Dale Orland in his book, he gives a bit of a warning. What he says is, you know, we have to be careful that we don't over-domesticate Jesus. What he means is, we, we, you know, let's not make Jesus like, a, you know, some type of cosmic buddy. He really wants to come into our lives and be our king and be our leader. And quite frankly, we need that in life. In John chapter 15, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, there's no greater love than when someone gives his life for their friends. And that's exactly what he's done. He gave his life for you and me. He took our sin onto himself. And when we simply believe in Jesus, he gives us that forgiveness, that eternal life, that promise to lead us through life. But we need to open the door. Just simply says, come to the door. Come to me. Come to the door. Just open the door. Open the door. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we do that? He's the only friend who will die for you, who has died for you. All of us in this room, we're at different points in our spiritual journeys. Different pains, different hurts, different shame, different embarrassments. We wonder, would Jesus even come in? He said, yes. I'm knocking. Come to the door. Let me in. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, that's simply a prayer. God, I need you. And maybe you're a believer and you've walked away. Come back. Jesus' heart is bottomless, filled with compassion for you and for me. The second challenge is this. Be a friend to someone in the name of Jesus. What do I mean by that? If, if you are a Christ follower, you have friends who are not. Only God knows those who are his. But by their own admission or by your best guess, they are still not a Christ follower. They don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. These are the people I'm talking about who would not darken the door of a church, who maybe make fun of your own faith, who perhaps make fun of Christians, who yawn at the idea of God, don't want anything to do with church. Here's a challenge. Live your life as Jesus would live your life if he were you. And when you do, you will become a friend to those. I am called to be a friend to those who are still far from God, and so are you. I'm not called to be the moral police, neither are you. I'm not called to be judgmental of those who are not a part of the church. I'm called to be a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's the church in action. That's the church giving what we've received. I love those words. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But there's more to it. Jesus loves those whom God has put around me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He is the friend. He's a friend of me, of you, of anyone who turns to him. Let's pray. God, now thank you for your grace. 
for the great reminder that you have come to rescue us, to be our friend. And when we turn to you, you look at us and say, you are my friends. Thank you that we are friends of yours through faith in Christ, in whose name we pray, and to whom we can bring all of our cares and worries. We are grateful. Amen. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to care. Everything to God in prayer. Oh, peace we often forfeit. For needless pain we all because we do not care everything to God in prayer. And have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Here we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share. Jesus knows our every in your love today. We carry it with us, be a friend to others, and also accept uh, and embrace your friendship, God. It's in your holy name that we say these things. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. We'll see you next week.